Well, this is a little awkward. You know, I'm looking at myself and I see this and I've never noticed that before. I hear that that happens as you get older. It looks like uh, the hair is thinning a little bit. You know, I just figured today would be a good day. Yesterday was rough. Aggies lost. Longhorns lost. Sooners lost. LSU Tigers lost. (laughs) If you're a Baylor fan, nobody likes you today. (laughs) But because of the rough day yesterday, I figured it'd be just a good day to uh, sleep through my own sermon. Some of you know what that's like. You know, it's a little awkward. Um, This is uncommon. The silence makes us uncomfortable. We're not really good at this. I'm not sure we're great at, at this idea of rest. And so today, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about rest, specifically the gift of rest. You know, I was thinking about this and it's getting hot under there. I wonder if there's more to this idea of rest than even just taking a nap on my, yes, Avengers pillow. What would it look like to rest? What would it look like to practice a rhythm of rest in our lives? You know, I've heard a lot of people say recently in this day and age of multiple alarm clocks set on our phone, the snooze button, record sales and energy drinks, melatonin. I've heard a lot of people say recently, especially, I'm tired. Anybody felt that way recently? You can throw your hand up. I'll throw my hand up there with you. Just been tired, exhausted, fatigued. I wonder if there's something we can do. And I know the answer to that. I think there is, and that's what I want us to think about today. We're in best gift season. Last week, Mark talked about the gift of purpose. And today, I want us to think about the gift of rest. We're in best gift, and we're thinking about the best gift that we can participate in, but God gives us some incredible gifts. And as we experience those, as we learn more about those, we actually become dispensers of those same gifts. And I'm gonna put my shoes back on. You're welcome. But I want us to think about this idea of rest. You know, I've heard people say, if I could just, if I could just have another hour, like sometimes maybe you've had this thought, God, I, I just need 25 hours in a day. Why didn't you give us 25? Why 24? And I think the reality is, is that you don't need another hour. You need rest. We need to use our time differently. And so I want us to think about this. And I want us to dive into a passage of scripture, wardrobe malfunction. I want us to dive into a, passage of scripture as we think about this idea of being overworked, maybe anxious, tired. You know, I was reading this week that Americans used to sleep 10 hours per night. Before the light bulb was invented, before Thomas Thomas Edison did his thing, Americans slept on average 10 hours a night. I was reading and John Wesley, the great preacher back in the day, used to get up at 4 a.m. every morning and he would spend time with God. Well, that was easy for him because he went to bed at six, because there's nothing to do after the sun went down. Today, the average American sleeps 6.7 hours. This week I posted on my Instagram and I asked the question, how many 
hours on average do you sleep? And the average came somewhere between five and six based on those who responded to my question. You know, we're overworked, we're tired, we're anxious, we're struggling. And so I want us to find out what we can do with that. I want to talk about the gift of rest, but specifically I want us to think about this, thou shalt do nothing. And just to preview, sermon in a sentence, I think when you begin to protect your rhythm of rest, you can begin to expect God's best in your life. And I think we can see that as we unpack a few verses together today. And we're going to dive back to Exodus in the Old Testament, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested. Everybody say that together on three. Ready? One, two, three. Rested. All right, I want to make sure you weren't resting. Um, Rested on the seventh day. So God did everything necessary that was needed in creation, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That word Sabbath comes from a verb. It comes from a verb that means to rest, to take a break, to not work on anything. It comes from the word Shabbat. This word Sabbath is to, to take a break. And here in this passage, the reason I started with this verse, we're going to go back and start in verse 8 in just a second, is because God modeled this. This is, this is God going through creation. He created everything. It took him six days, and then he created rest. You know, I've heard it said before, don't listen, don't just do what I say, but watch what I do and practice that. Something along those lines, maybe you've heard something similar. In this passage, we specifically see something that God does, that God modeled for us, that we can do for ourselves. And it's not just something that maybe is a decent suggestion. It's actually one of the 10 commandments. Look what it says. If we go back to verse eight, it says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember. It's almost like we we might have a tendency to forget the Sabbath, this break, this rest, this moment to push back the work for just a little while, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. This word Sabbath is a 24-hour period of time. Starts at sunset and goes to the sunset of the next day, 24 hours, carving out time to just be still, to rest, to reflect, to remember God's goodness. God modeled this for us. You know, this was written to the Israelites shortly after God had rescued them from captivity in Egypt. And It's interesting because God spends the first three commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt make no idols, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And then number four is, hey, you need to take a break. You need to rest. For 24 hours, you need to rest. I gotta imagine that Moses was sitting there chiseling this on the stones and he gets to number four and he's like, wait, what, God? You want us to remember the Sabbath? Because then he goes on, he talks about honoring your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not lie. I mean, this is before all of those. You know, what's interesting is I think about this. Nobody walks into church on Sunday and says, bro, I totally cheated on my wife this week. Fist bump. Like nobody probably did that today. If you did, we have a great counseling center. We can work through some of that. (laughs) Nobody walked in here and said, hey, listen, guess what? This year, I totally cheated on my taxes. I mean, I lied about my income. I lied about my expenses, fist bump. Nobody walked in saying that. But you know what's interesting? There's been many times where I have walked in 
to church. And some of you have walked into church and talked about how busy we are. I can't remember the last time I took a day off. I mean, it's just been such a crazy pace. I mean, have you ever said something like that? It's almost like we take this particular commandment and we wear it like a badge of honor when we don't live up to it. It's weird. But it's also interesting that I think that's why God says, remember the Sabbath. He knew we were going to struggle with this one. He knew this, this one would be difficult to observe. Nobody goes to counseling for a lack of rest. Nobody looks at counseling or nobody looks at, at the lack of rest as the reason for all of their problems in life. Exhaustion, fatigue, stress, the anxiety. Nobody's joining a support group this week called Workaholics Anonymous. But there's something we need to see because I believe that we are an exhausted people. I say this because I feel, like I feel that exhaustion with you. We've all felt it. And I think we maybe have felt it even more so in the last several months. But I want us to understand what's going on in this passage when God communicates this to Moses and the Israelites. He has just rescued them from captivity. They have been enslaved to the Egyptians and God through a series of miracles sets them free. They walk across the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. I mean, it's an unbelievable experience. But what's interesting is the Sabbath was created all the way back at creation. I just told you that. That's what verse 11 is pointing us to. So this idea, this concept of Sabbath has always existed. But you gotta think about what would it be like to be a slave in Egypt? You're literally working every single day for your livelihood. If your family's gonna eat, then you've gotta work. If your family is going to be protected, then you've got to work. You've got to serve the Egyptians. So they've been set free. God has rescued them. And he says, remember, take a break. Rest. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge what he's done. Acknowledge what he is going to do. And it's easy for us, I think, today to think, well, okay, that, that, that's great for the Israelites thousands of years ago but I'm just not sure that's relevant or works in our culture today. But what's interesting is God had rescued the Egyptians and he had promised that they were gonna become an incredible, great nation. They were gonna be a nation of cities, of armies, of crops, farming. They were gonna have military. I mean, this was gonna be an incredible group of people. But here they were in the wilderness, in the desert. And God says, remember the Sabbath. It's almost like he knew that they were gonna forget when they became more powerful and they became more successful, they're beginning to experience things that they were able to contribute towards. They were gonna struggle to remember God's goodness. And so while they're in the wilderness, he's wanting them to begin to cultivate this habit of rest, this habit of doing nothing for 24 hours from sunset to sunset. God says, don't work. It's interesting as you think about this and I think about in our own lives, what would it be like for us to intentionally step away from our responsibilities, from our obligations, from our work schedules, to remember, to rest in God's goodness, to acknowledge what God has done for us and to pay attention to what he wants to do in the days ahead for us. We just got finished singing a song called Jaira. You are enough. God, you are enough. The word Jaira is a name for God that's used in the Old Testament. It means, it means God will provide. God demonstrates this for the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. If you go back to Exodus chapter 16, you can read about the manna that fell from heaven. I mean, you had one to two million people walking out into the wilderness had been set free from Egypt. The food was gonna run out. They were gonna run out of food. But God said, hey, 
I'm going to meet your greatest need. And so every single morning they would walk outside and they would find this crusty bread-like, I like to think that it was donuts because I like sugar. They would find this bread and one day somebody was bold enough to eat it and said, man, this is actually really good. What was interesting is this, I think it collected it. If they tried to save it for the next day, it would spoil and it was no good. And God told them this. He says, hey, don't try to store up more for tomorrow. I'll provide tomorrow just like I did today, except for on the sixth day. Because on the seventh day, he said, I don't want you to collect it on the seventh day. Collect enough on the sixth day for the sixth day and the seventh day. He's wanting them to remember the Sabbath. He's ultimately wanting them to remember that he's going to provide for their every need. This is intense. This is on purpose. Look what verse 10 says. It says, in it, you shall not do any work. Nothing. Thou shalt do nothing. That's why this is titled that. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. See, God knew that some of the Israelites were like you and me. You're like, okay, I hear that, but I gotta find a loophole. I can't do anything, but I can get somebody else to do something for me because I wanna make sure everything's taken care of. And God's like, no, 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 no. This isn't accidental. This is intentional. This is on purpose. This is important. This is life-giving for you. You need to carve out some space, 24 hours to to remember. Now, Israel was an ambitious nation. They were an eager group of people that wanted to build for themselves more structure, a society, a culture, a culture that honored God. It seems a little bit insensitive to that. It's almost like God's holding out on them. And I think we can have the same types of feelings. We begin to think, maybe, maybe I can work around this. I don't, I don't really need rest. Like, I'm fine. I, I feel good. I mean, we begin to fool ourselves. We begin to think about this. Thing. And so what I want to do is I want to just unpack quickly three responses that I think we tend to make when we consider the Sabbath, when we consider what it would look like in our lives to take a break. I mean, it seems ridiculous. 24 hours, Wes, are you kidding me? The first two responses, I believe, are problems. But it's also probably the two most common responses to this commandment. And then the third, I believe, is the solution to our exhaustion. The first response that we may fall into at times is that rest minus work equals laziness. I mean, some of you are like sitting there like, hey, did you hear that? He just said, I need to rest. So I need to rest some more. So I, I, need, I need to chill out. I need to take it easy. I need to kick my feet up a little bit more than I do. But listen, if you don't work, you don't need to rest. Video games don't count. If you don't work, there's no need to rest. Look what God did. For six days, God hustled. I mean, he got his hustle on. And on the seventh day, he rested. So if that's you, you live in a lifestyle of Sabbath, a lifestyle of rest. Did you know the scripture says that laziness is sin? Not just laziness, but the unwillingness to work hard, the unwillingness to do your best at whatever you do is actually sinful. Followers of Jesus should be the best employees. We should work the hardest because God has created us with specific gifts and abilities. We've been designed for what we do. And so when we don't do our best, we're not just dishonoring ourselves, we're dishonoring the God that we say we love. So God is calling us to work hard And after we work, to rest. So get a job, get more expertise, get more education, continue to strive for success. 
find purpose in what you do. You know, it's interesting, Genesis chapter two, after the creation story, God's created uh, man and woman. He's created the Garden of Eden. I mean, it is, this is paradise. Perfection is existing in the world. This is before the fall. This is before Adam and Eve made any mistakes. Look what it says in Genesis chapter two, verse 15. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Translation, to work, to work hard. You were designed to work. You and I were designed to work. This is the garden before the fall. This is paradise. And there was work involved. Spoiler alert. You've heard Mark say this a lot over the years. When we get to heaven, we're going to work. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. We were made to work. So get to work and live out the purpose God has put in you. That's what Mark talked about last week to get out and to begin to work. We were made to work. We were made with a purpose. Our lives have purpose attached to them. Some of us don't struggle with that response, but we struggle with maybe the opposite of that. Instead of resting and never working and being lazy, we find ourselves in a place of work without rest, which leads us to a place of sickness. John Mark Comer has an article called, and he talks about this in some of his books where he talks about rest, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And in that he talks about hurry sickness. There's literally a sickness that he has described called hurry sickness. Let me just read you the symptoms of hurry sickness. And I just want you to kind of keep in mind which ones maybe apply to your life and see if maybe you need to diagnose yourself officially with hurry sickness, irritability, easily triggered, just irritable grumpy because you're tired because your life is a life of hurry. The pace is always urgent, going toward critical thing after critical thing, irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness. Even when you try to rest, you can't rest. Your mind won't turn off. Workaholism, nonstop activity. Even when you're sitting, you've got to be doing something. You're folding the laundry, but you've got your phone, check your email at the same time. It's nonstop. It's constant. Workaholism. Emotional numbness, out-of-order priorities. You begin to focus on what's most, most urgent instead of what's most important. And you begin thinking to yourself, man, I wish I had more time to focus on that. Your priorities have become out of whack. A lack of care for your body, exercise and healthy eating and getting enough sleep become something that used to be important that's not important anymore. And your body begins to suffer physically. Escapist behaviors, You begin to spend more time just aimlessly browsing the internet or social media or binge-watching Netflix shows, not getting the amount of sleep that you need to get. A slippage of spiritual disciplines. Maybe this is one that's that's real for you. It's like, man, I I know that... um, God is real. I know that God sent his son Jesus for me so that I could have a different chance at life, that I could have a life and a life with him forever. And I believe that and I trust that, but I don't really spend a lot of time growing in that. It's a symptom of hurry sickness. Lastly, isolation. Just feeling a disconnect from God, a disconnect from other people. And maybe, maybe you're not sure if these symptoms are real for you. I would encourage you to just ask someone close to you. Ask your spouse, not right now, because right now I don't want that to get ugly and we'll have to rush you over to the counseling center right away. But ask some people close to you because I think they'll be honest with you and say, yeah, that, that's you. Yes, that's true about you. Is that the reality for some of us today? Notice I said us, not you. 
because I struggle with some of these things. You see, there's a danger to not paying attention to the Sabbath because we were designed for it. We were designed to have a pattern, a rhythm of rest in our lives. And God is saying, I want you to protect this. I want you to be intentional with that. I want you to be disciplined with this rest. So many of us are stressed out. We're overwhelmed. We're anxious about what's going on in our lives. Why is that? Because I think we spend way too much time working and we don't carve out enough time for rest and we find ourselves sick. And I think it happens for two reasons. The first reason is simply this. We depend on our work to provide for our needs or our perceived needs. I gotta get that job. I gotta get that promotion. I've gotta get that pay raise so that I can have all that I need. I gotta have that house. I need that car. I need that really nice car. I need the right kind of clothes so I don't look lame going in the office. I need all of these things. And so we begin to focus so much on what we feel like we need that we begin to run, run, run trying to accumulate and to accomplish so that we can meet the needs in our lives. The second reason, and maybe the more subtle reason, is I think we spend so much time working without making any time for rest because it's in our work that we find our identity. We're gonna try to explain and understand more of who we are. You see, our self-worth is tied to what we do. We're human beings though, not human doings. There's a difference, but we fall into this trap. You know, this two most common questions somebody asks you when you first meet them. The first one is, hey, what's your name? The second one is, what do you do? Isn't that interesting? The responses to that are always really interesting too, because you have that, that person you meet and you're like, hey, what's your name? My name is uh, Tom. Okay, hey, Tom, well, so, so what do you do? And he goes, well, actually, um, I, I prefer that people call me Dr. Thompson. My name's Tom Thompson, but t- call me Dr. Thompson because I've got a lot of degrees and um, I'm really smart. And uh, he doesn't say all those things, but as soon as you hear Dr. Thompson, you immediately begin to think, okay, he's really intelligent and probably has a lot of money because he's a doctor. We begin to draw conclusions. We begin to make assumptions about people based on what they do. And so if you have a job title or you've got responsibilities that you manage in your life that you think are subpar to everybody else, when somebody asks you what you do, you're like, um, uh, well, uh, I'm the pooper scooper for the donkey basketball team. <laughs> Just gonna throw that out there. We begin to feel insecure about what we do because we tie what we do to what our value is in life. You know, I went to school at Texas A&M and I love to tell people that I went to school at Texas A&M. If you've never noticed, um, I do like being an Aggie. But it's always, the first couple of years while I was at A&M and even after I graduated, I was a little bit self-conscious when people would ask me, what'd you get your degree in? And right now you're like, what'd you get your degree in, Wes? <laughs> Recreation, park, and tourism science. But I minored in business. You see what I did there? I literally would always make sure that I said that because otherwise people would think, man, you went to school and played like circle games and threw the Frisbee all day long and you had to pay a lot of money for that. See, why do, why do we defend ourselves? Why do we feel this way about the things that we do? Why are we like this? Because we find identity there. We find our self-worth there. It's how we know that we're valuable to other people. And so we have this tendency to run, to run, to run, to run, to run, and we never rest. So God said, hey, listen, I know you're gonna struggle with this, so remember In verse eight, he says, remember, take a day off. You need it. You were designed for it. Rest. 
Wayne Muller, in one of his books on the Sabbath, says it like this. He says, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath, our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack. Our accidents create Sabbath for us. I appreciate the way he worded that, but it makes me uncomfortable because what he's saying is he's saying, choose your Sabbath or your Sabbath will choose you. And there's restoration no matter where you fall in that, but you have an opportunity to choose Sabbath, to choose God's best for your life. You and I were created for this rhythm of rest. You know, it's interesting in this passage in Exodus, God is um, speaking this to Moses. Moses communicates this to the people, but he's pointing back to the creation story. And he's saying, carve out this 24 hour period of sunset to sunset to remember all that God has done, all of creation. But in Deuteronomy chapter five, where the 10 commandments are also mentioned, Moses says something a little bit different as he's speaking about this specific commandment, the Sabbath. Look what he says in verse 12. It says, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Okay, we got that. We saw that earlier. Then he goes on in verse 15. He says this, you shall remember that you were. He's pointing back to what they were. What were they? They were slaves in the land of Egypt. That was their identity. And the Lord your God stayed distant and left you there forever. No, it says the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Translation, when we take the Sabbath, we rest and we do nothing. We remember what God has done. We remember what God has created, that he has created everything for us. He has created everything around us and in us. But not only did he create everything, he was a part of our redemption process, part of our redemption story. He's telling this to the Israelites. He's saying, I rescued you from slavery. I brought you out. I did what was necessary. Sometimes I think we look at the 10 commandments and I believe that the Israelites struggle with the same tension. We look at the 10 commandments. We look at things that are written in scripture. and We begin to think, oh my gosh, these are conditions for my relationship with God. And I can never meet the mark. I'll never meet every single condition but they're not conditions of the relationship we have with God. They're actually confirmation of the relationship that we have with God because the work's already been done. The redemption's already taken place for the people of Israel. But this is also pointing us to the cross of Jesus. At the cross of Jesus, Jesus on the cross, the last thing he said was to telestai, which means it is finished. When Jesus says it is finished, what he's saying is he's saying, you don't have to work for me. I've already done the work. You've already been purchased. You've already been paid for. That's why he went to the cross. He's not saying, I need you to love me more. He's saying, I already loved you. I already chose you. And he did what was necessary so that you and I could be redeemed. It's in that redemption that we find rest. It's in that rest that we remember and we reflect. And as you remember And as you refocus and you realign your mind and your life with these things, you begin to remember your worth. You begin to remember your value. You're not looking to the people around you or to what you see in the mirror to determine who you are. Jesus claims who you are when he went to the cross. It's why we remember communion. We're gonna take communion together in just a few minutes. But this is why we remember communion. We remember his love for us. We remember his compassion to come after us. And there's something in that that's life-giving. We begin to experience God's best for us. 
But for some of us, we're exhausted. We're struggling to carve out that time. There's responsibilities, there's jobs, there's obligations at work, in the office, obligations at home. And we find ourselves in this pace where we're just exhausted and we get home and we don't want to spend time with anybody at home because we're just overwhelmed because we've never taken time to just rest and to remember God's goodness in our life. What would that look like for us? You know, I think we struggle with this, not just in our employment. We struggle with our family responsibilities. We struggle with our kids. We want our kids to be great at everything that they work, work on. And so we spend ourselves cultivating this culture of work without rest, making our children sick, overwhelming them with stress and anxiety instead of modeling for them a rhythm of rest. What would it look like to protect this rest in our lives. I don't know where this lands with you today. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm exhausted, Wes. Maybe you've never, you haven't really thought about it. You know that you're tired. You know that you come in here and you listen to one of us talk on the stage and you struggle to keep your eyes open. You're just like, man, Wes, you're just kind of boring. And then maybe that's true, but maybe there's something more to it. Maybe it's because this is the first time all week that you really get to a place where you disconnect and you actually begin to rest. You're not doing anything else. You're not processing anything else. You're not handling anything else. You're not leading anything else. You're just here. You're able to sit and reflect on God's goodness for your life. And you're like, man, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Listen, I don't, I don't say any of that today to shame you or to make you feel bad. I say that because I can relate. You know, I don't ever want this to be a place where you look at me or Mark or Laura, any of our staff, really anybody, and think, man, they've got it all together. Because I can say for myself, I don't. And I struggle with this. You know, it's interesting, when I start to feel exhausted, or I begin to feel fatigued and overwhelmed and stressed out. You know what, my natural tendency is to look at everybody else around me and say, this is your fault. You're, you are doing this to me. Fix it, fix this situation. But you know what this verse reminds me of? It reminds me that it's my responsibility. I am called to remember the Sabbath. No one else is called to remember it for me. So I've got to take responsibility for this. Man, God's been, he's been shaking me up this week, the last several days with this passage. Honestly, earlier in the week, I was like, I'm gonna to have to change what I'm teaching on this weekend because I'm not good at this and I haven't done a good job of this. There's been times in my life where I have, but can I just tell you the last 18 to 24 months, I haven't. And I don't say that so you can be like, wow, Wes, I'm so proud of you, you're such a hard worker because that's, that's not good. It's gross, it's disgusting, it's destructive. It's destructive to my life and it's destructive to the lives of those around me, especially those closest to me. And I think I realized that this week. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I said to a couple people, I said, man, I'm tired, I'm running on fumes. And even in that, I think I had a warped idea in my head. It's my responsibility. I'm not carving out the intentional time, the break, the rest, to reflect on who God is, what he's done for me, how he's equipped me, what he's put in front of me, the plans and purposes he has for my life. And so this week, I've just been processing that. You know, there's something powerful in confession, saying, God, I agree with you. Your ways are better than my ways. I've been trusting myself to do everything and handle everything because I feel like I need to provide for me. But God, you're saying, remember, so that I remember that you're ultimately in charge. You provide, not me. So I had to agree with God. I had to confess that. 
and then I'm required to repent. If I want healing, if you want healing from this, because I, I don't think I'm just talking to myself. I know there's some many in here and watching online that feel this and are dealing with this. It's not enough to just confess it, but we also need to take some steps to repent so that it doesn't continue to happen. And I think in that, listen, this is what you may need to do. And this is what I've had to do this week. Ask for forgiveness. I sat with some of our staff this week and I said, hey, listen, I'm not trying to overreact. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but I I just need you to know that I'm exhausted because I've been irresponsible with my rest. It makes me uncomfortable to even say that here, but I know that some of them have felt that. And even if they haven't felt that, maybe they felt it from someone else who's felt it from me. And I've got to own that and be responsible for that. But as I own and become responsible for that, I also have to make some adjustments. So maybe that's what you need to do is maybe there's some apologies that need to go out this week. As you confess and you repent and you begin to say, listen, I'm sorry. I sat down with my wife a couple nights ago and I said, listen, I'm sorry. I haven't, I haven't been what I need to be with you and the boys. Constantly checking my email, constantly thinking about what I need to do at work, constantly thinking about what I need to do with my kids, just, just not doing it. It's, it's just not good. So I don't know where this lands with you, but what steps do you need to take to remember the Sabbath? And I don't want you to get hung up on the day or the time. And you're like, some of you are like, Wes, 24 hours, are you serious? That, that, that's way too long. Just start with two this week. Start with an hour, start somewhere. Don't get hung up on the day. Listen, the church in Acts, they worshiped God on a work day. Sunday was a work day. It wasn't until 300 AD that Constantine changed it. He became a follower of Jesus and he changed Sunday to a day off, but it was resurrection day. And so they wanted to celebrate that. And then in the 1700s, our forefathers of America, they got together and they're like, okay, do we make Saturday or Sunday the day off? Do we make Saturday or Sunday the, the Sabbath? And they couldn't make a decision, so they just said, hey, let's make them both. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Jesus. Live for the weekend. But live for the weekend. Whatever that day is, find that day and begin to disconnect and rest. Because here's what I know is true. When we work, like it all depends on us. And then we rest for one day, remembering that it really all depends on God, then I, begin, I believe we begin to experience God's best for our life. So this week, work six days, like it depends on you. Take a day off and rest and remember that it's all dependent on God and begin to experience God's best for your life. Protect your rhythm of rest and expect God's best in your life. I don't know where this lands for you and how ultimately you need to respond this week, but I wanna invite you to respond in a specific way in this moment. We plan two songs at the end of the service today because I think we need to carve out some time, even when it's a little bit uncomfortable, even when your stomach's empty and you're thinking, man, it's time to eat. I gotta get the kids, gotta beat the rush. I gotta get out to the car and get out of here. What would it look like to just say, I'm gonna carve out that space. I'm gonna sacrifice this time and we're gonna sing these songs. We're gonna thank God for who he is. We're gonna celebrate his goodness in our lives. We're gonna thank him for Jesus. When you walked in today, you were given the communion elements. You were given the bread and the cup. You'll see the bread there on top. And here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. As the band sings, you can take communion whenever it's right for you. But you see, this is a trust issue. Jesus completed the redemption process. His body represented by the bread 
was broken for us. His blood that was for the forgiveness of our sins was poured out. When we remember him, we remember what he did for us. But as we remember him, we're saying, Jesus, I trust you because this is a trust issue. Will you continue to trust the patterns of this world or will you trust your heavenly father? Trust him by working hard, but also cultivating a rhythm of rest in your life. So as the band sings, let's take communion, let's worship. Let's rest. Remember what he's done and what he's going to continue to do. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. God, I'm grateful for what you have done for us, how you rescued us, how you redeemed us by sending your son, Jesus, to the cross. You gave us a second chance at life. You could have left us down here by ourselves to make a mess of ourselves and everything around us, but you chose to come after us with compassion and love and grace and forgiveness. But not only that, you gave us purpose. And so right now I pray that you would just draw us in to focus on you and your goodness. Give us the ability to trust you completely, even in this space, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us, what it shapes in us, what it wakes us up to. God, would you wake us up to rest this week and then give us the ability to take the steps we need to take to just acknowledge you in our lives and all that you want to do in our lives and through our lives. And we thank you in advance for that. Pray that what's happened in this place today, what we've experienced, what we've heard, what we've done, what we've said, wouldn't stay here, but it would go with us in the world to continue to change and make impact. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.